0: Let's pray. Father, in just these few moments that we have, I would ask that you would allow for our hearts at this point to be open to this incredible love you have for us that allows for us to, to know this God who raises people to life and, and calls things that aren't as if, as if they really are. In fact, they truly are. And so we thank you for that. So may your... Spirit, have freedom now. And your voice speak, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one of the most common crimes reported to the Federal Trade Commission today is identity theft. In fact, the recent survey just came out and it was published last Wednesday, April 1st. It's not an April Fool's thing. This is true. The most common identity theft victims tend to be middle-aged, married females, divorcees, or those who make more than $75,000 a year, according to this newly released survey. In fact, um, 10% of identity theft victims said they missed payments as a result of the identity theft. And four out of five of those victims reported they also experienced lower credit scores, bankruptcy, repossession, foreclosure, or jail time. Uh, They just go on about the pain that it's caused in their life for someone assuming their identity it is actually takes people, they say, average about 81 hours just to get things squared away and resolved that in one in four cases, they have gone on for a year or more without resolution. You might think, well, that's in a statistic that's not really necessarily related to you. Well, let me read you the story from someone in our own congregation. This person wrote me, getting an email from your bank saying you have insufficient funds, you are overdrawn, is never a good thing, especially when you thought you had plenty of funds in your account. So I immediately tried to sign on my online banking, only to find these words pop up on the screen, wrong password, try again. What? I know my password. Turns out that someone had gotten my password, not to mention other important information, and they were posing as me. They changed my password and began transferring funds from multiple accounts, including our children's accounts. They were having a great time till they foolishly attempted to transfer $1 million from our personal checking account. Yeah, right. Our account was about $999,000 short of that amount. So it obviously raised some red flags. But this didn't happen until they had drained our funds, made a royal mess of all our accounts, our credit cards, our credit score, our direct withdrawals, causing our mortgage payments to be late, and then countless other hassles. I spent at least two weeks, two full weeks, rectifying all the chaos, closing all the credit cards, all the checking accounts, setting up new ones, ordering new checks... New cards, tracking the perpetrators, spending countless hours on the phone, either on hold or talking with security people who had to be told the whole story all over again every single time I talked to a new person. The financial issues were not merely the most troubling thing about the identity theft. It was recovering my right to be me again and convincing all those I do business with that I hadn't flipped out and just stopped paying my bills. You see, we earn the right to be trusted. And it's frustrating when you lose that trust through no fault of your own. But after two weeks and a few hundred phone calls, I am once again me. It's good to be me again for the most part. The importance of identity. Identity is critical. Preserving your identity, keeping it free from question, making certain you are who you are so you don't lose the trust of others. Making sure you are who you are so that others don't pose in your place and take things and have access through you to your resources. All that is front and central today. This whole issue of identity. Well, 2,000 years ago, the issue of identity was also headline news. You see, in that day, in the time when Jesus lived, you didn't have, like, ID cards you could pull out that you could show and prove to someone by your picture who you are. You didn't have these computer screens so that if you walked into a place, they could kind of pull up your computer, you know, on the computer screen, your, your picture and some of your bio statistics and your little passwords so they could prove who you are. And see, in that day, people were assuming identities, though, still. There were people, many people, because at that time, people were anticipating that God would send someone who would come to earth and who would lead His people and all those who were willing to acknowledge their need of Him into His kingdom. And in that time, there was a bunch of posers, a bunch of people who came forth and said they're the Messiah. And at that time, Jesus came right around that time. And so this question 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday was a critical key question. Jesus, for three years, had wandered as an itinerant preacher. He had gone from village to village, proclaiming who he was to people, teaching them. People were amazed at his authority. And then beyond that, he was proving his identity, that he was God's chosen one, by doing incredible miracles of compassion, incredible feats of supernatural abilities, feeding 5,000, walking across water, stilling storms. So now after about three years, there's this crescendo that's beginning to occur in that whole region and throughout that area. Wondering, is this Jesus who He says He is? And so on Palm Sunday, by no accident, completely intending to get this message across, Jesus rides into town. Listen to what it says. In Mark chapter 11, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, Jesus, having planned this all out, sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it. Bring it here. And, And by the way, if anyone asks you what you're doing, tell them, The Lord needs it, and He'll send it back shortly. And they go off and they do it. All prearranged. Because Jesus was intentional about making sure people knew who He was. Luke records that as Jesus came into town, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King! who comes in the name of the Lord. Mark adds, many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed, they shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is the coming of the king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You see, people were exuberant. They were, they were filled with joy. They were dancing just like we had people dancing here. They were, they were taking palm branches and other things that they had cut in the field and they were waving them and they were actually throwing them on the road. People were taking off their coats. Businessmen in their suits who were, were standing there in a sense. Kind of work with me here, you know, it's like they had suits. But, you know, they took their cloaks and they threw them on the road so that the king could... could Right across it, because they all knew it was well attested by the Word of God. Zechariah actually says at one point that Jesus Himself, the King, the Anointed One, He says, see, your King comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the fall of a donkey comes your king. And so they knew the identity as this one rode in on this foal, this unridden colt coming into Jerusalem just like David did to restore the kingdom of David, to set up like David did in Jerusalem, God's holy city. This king had come. But there's something interesting about this. There's something you need to take note about because in his identity he was trying to make one thing really clear. He didn't come riding in on a white stallion. Palm Sunday was a sermon that Jesus was preaching. He loved parables. Prophets loved to teach. But often they would teach by acting something out. So he was acting out a message in front of them. And the thing he wanted to grab their attention with was that the king was coming not on a white stallion. You see, when a king would come into a town or into a place or into a a people who opposed him, who he had conquered, he would come into this conquering people riding this white stallion because the the point of the white stallion was that I have power over you and I will bring all things into order and I will set up my kingdom so that you have to follow my rules and my laws and become adherents to this new way of life. But Jesus, as Zechariah promises, This king comes with a different identity. He's still the king of kings. He's God's son, anointed, loved by God the Father. But he's riding into town on a colt. In Revelation, it says that John writes, I saw heaven standing open, and before me was this white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which with which to strike down the nations. And on his robe, this name is written, King of kings, Lord of lords. You see, the truth is, Jesus will come back sometime on a white horse. He will bring this whole earth and all its people under his authority and his rule and into his kingdom. But this time he rode in on a colt, and when a king would ride in on a cult, he was coming with this message. He was saying, I want peace. I want to live in relationship with you. I am not coming with war. I am not coming to force you to do my will. I am coming to move into this life with you in such a way that as I set up my kingdom, I invite you into it. Not against your will. Not by coercion. But out of love. I come to you totally, completely, fully as this king. But I draw you in and I pull you by love. And so what's really interesting is Jesus comes in and he says, I want to make this really clear. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus and you see his identity, you'll see one thing about Jesus that's very interesting. Again and again, you see his relationship with the Father. And you see that Jesus, not only is he the king, God's anointed, but he is God's love, deeply loved one. Can you imagine being Jesus? How deeply loved you would be? Here is Jesus living his life for 30 years. He's about to begin his ministry. He goes to be baptized, which means he's going to identify with common people. He's going to actually say, I am one of you. I am like you. In all ways. I understand your suffering. I'm going to enter into your experience fully. So at his baptism, he's baptized. John doesn't even want to baptize. him. I can't baptize. you. I'm not worthy of doing it. He says, no, I need to be. He's baptized. As he's baptized and coming out of the water, it says the heavens opened and the, and, and the spirit like a dove descended down on him. And as it descended down on him, this voice cracked from the sky. And it, it's interesting because in, in some of the Gospels, it says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. My heart is bursting with pride as I look at you. Because you're the one that when we, we looked at the situation of people and we saw that their separation from us and we saw the guilt and the shame that they carry, we saw the fact that they, they struggled to feel competent and feel worthy and accepted. And they, and they are people who allowed sin into their life that broke relationships with other people and caused them mess in their relationships with others and, and, and messed up their own life and, and, and caused them to live in shame where they either ran from, from us or they acted like they didn't care about who we are. As the Godhead. Here is Jesus. He's sitting with the Father. They look at this mess and the Father says, we need to do something about it. It's going to be demeaning. You're going to have to enter in that situation. It's going to be humbling. In fact, it'll be so humiliating you'll actually die on a cross in order to do the work to make things right. Is there any volunteers? And Jesus says, I'll do it. Incredible love. He looks at His Son who as He lived this life and He lived among people, He was a person who responded. At times timidly, meekly, when he could have let people have it. He was one who was tender in his actions with people who needed tenderness. He was a person who was compassionate. He was a person who, with all his love, he would give mercy and grace to people who needed grace and mercy. He would go to a well with a woman who felt so lousy and so rotten about herself. And he didn't condemn her, but he stood there and he invited her into a relationship. He said, I've come. And she understands who He is. And she begins to experience the love of God in her heart. Here is this Jesus who God the Father goes, You're my son. All that you've done, I'm so pleased with and I love you so much. So as they go on in that journey, it's not too far before His crucifixion. Jesus takes John, Peter, and James. He brings them up to a mountain. He says, I want you guys to be with me. I'm going to go and pray. He starts to pray. And as he's praying, it says in the Word of God, I believe it's Luke, it says that that Peter is really sleepy. These guys have been working hard. They had just climbed the mountain. They're tired. Peter's kind of falling asleep. Jesus is over there praying. He sees Jesus praying a lot. He realizes there's something about this life of Jesus. There's something about prayer. There's something about being connected to the Father, but he's just tired. And as Jesus is praying, He starts to glow so brightly, it says that it was, no bleach could get it that white. So bright that it actually, it caused their eyes to have to kind of, they had to kind of like look down kind of a thing. There's almost a sense where right, I kind of, Peter would have got, would you turn the glow down, Jesus? I'm tired. But it's so bright, it's so overwhelming, that it says that a cloud begins to envelop them. The cloud envelops them, and once again, They hear these words. This time not you are my son. I think God is speaking, so those three will hear it. He says, this is my son, whom I love. I'm well pleased. My heart is bursting with pride over joy of my perfect, sinless, gracious, loving, truth, always telling truth son. I am just. I wow." He is so favored of God. He is so loved of God. And then he goes to Palm Sunday and he he makes this known. He says the same love that I offered to the to the woman who stood at the well and the same love that I've experienced with people have experienced when I've healed them from blindness and when I've healed um, a deaf ear and when I've actually worked in a person's life and removed the sense of shame and guilt and the same kind of love that, that people have experienced, I want everyone to experience. That's why I ride into town like this. He rides into town and as Paul said during communion, at a certain point they turn against him, they put him on the cross. And the same Father is looking down at His Son and His heart is breaking out of deep deep love of His his Son. Which brings me back to something that's so incredible about the Gospel. The good news. Here's the good news. Wouldn't you like that kind of love in your life? Wouldn't you like the Father to look down and love you like that? Wouldn't you like to be able to, like Jesus, have the resources of God so that when you see the Father working, the Holy Spirit prompting, gives you the ability to do the things you could never imagine you could do. You could actually see the blind and and those who are deaf and those who are far from God and those who need to be freed, freed. You have the ability to speak God's Word just like Jesus did because you now know the love of God flowing through you and you have the resources of God available to you as you work each day, each moment. Your life becomes far more exciting than it ever could be. It's not the humdrum of life. You go through life. You begin to understand that this God deeply loves you. And as you, God deeply loves you, He puts within you the ability to tap into His resources, to gain access into that, to actually do the things through a spoken word or through just a touch or through a prayer that a person doesn't even know about, to enter the will of God into situations to make a difference. And you go, wouldn't that be cool Like could experience what Jesus experiences? And Jesus goes to a cross, rises from the dead, and He says to every person, like He said when He was there, here's the key, you don't have to steal my identity. If you want to, by pure understanding of your need, recognition of your own sin, by understanding that God, just through trust, has made it possible for you to relate to Him because of Jesus, he will give you what he calls not identity theft, but identity shift. He takes your identity, and he now puts the name of Jesus over it. Isn't that the coolest thing in the world? Because now, when you it's by pure trust. You didn't do a thing to deserve it. In fact, to think about it, to think that God would love you like he loves his son, just imagine that. All you have to do is believe and trust what what Jesus, the name of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the work of Jesus has done, that this whole thing has been done for you so that you can walk in the relationship of the love of God know His grace and be able to access His resources. That's why people are trying to steal identity today. Because if they can get into your identity, they're hoping you have some accounts and some resources and some things that they can have. But why not... Not steal, but do what Jesus says. I'll give you my identity. I'll shift my identity, if you want it, onto you. If you receive it. So that tomorrow, when you walk out of here, or later this day, when you do something really stupid and you just hurt someone, or or you forget to do something you said you would do, and and you work through, you walk through life, and you have these thoughts that come and they accuse you and they go, "You are rotten, no good. You don't fulfill your things that you say you do. You you hurt people. You're self-centered. You're you're really into yourself." And you have this voice. Anybody else have voice like that in their heart? I have that. You have the ability if you're willing to trust. In this grace and love of God, to take out the card, so to speak, to take out, if you want to, even God's word and say, guess what? I don't, that's not me. I have a new identity. The Father calls me by a new, by a new name. He calls me Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't deny, you don't get right with the things and start to walk in the character of Christ because when you follow Jesus, He gives you the power to begin to start to do the things you couldn't do. But you now have the ability to walk in the grace and the love and the mercy and the patience and all the kindness of God. And you don't need to listen to that voice. You take it out and go, you know what, you got the wrong person here. I am loved by God. I don't deserve it. But baby, I'm going to live in it. Because Jesus said I could.